So first and foremost, I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me, and my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken pumping? My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the building rates are supposed to be. Agra has no <laughs> business being that <laughs> thick. When the cultists win, we all win. is a geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and english teacher uh, up here in northern california uh and uh this week um i actually managed to achieve the same level in call of duty that uh <laughs> damien and producer george have been at since the day we started playing together i finally have those five little stars Next to my name, and I finally, more importantly to me, I finally unlocked the China Beach. Oh, yeah. So now Damien and I can lob grenades at one another from across the, the, the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I still haven't quite figured out how to, how to gauge the aim <laughs> entirely. Like, because, you know, once you go to indirect fire, mm-hmm. I, like, I'm consistently overshooting. Uh-huh. Like, okay. like, I'm okay. constantly, like, I want to put it... Like you're in you're in the window of green, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to put it like just over the truck. Yeah. On the other side. And I'm I'm regularly lobbing it like across the alley <laughs> and, and like outside the battle space because like, well, you know, nobody actually goes out there. Right. You know. But uh yeah. And uh, and I have now played uh just shotgun duels uh mm-hmm. against you and yep. producer George. And uh, against what was my record against you? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, think it was within, like it was eight, eight to six. Yeah, like, like you, you got me. Yeah, yeah, it was within two. No, producer George, like, like. Well, I told him he didn't have to take it me. easy on you. Like, oh, you told him. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. don't, don't bother. Well, that's yeah, that's that's true. That yeah. is true. You you had said no, we don't need to take it easy. I I don't think he would have to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's okay. my that's my piece. Of, I'm very proud of that. You should be coming from a from a learner mindset positions mm-hmm. like oh no i actually am getting better at this <laughs> so that's mean what i got going on who are you well i'm damien harmony i am a latin and drama teacher up here in northern california uh and this week um good heavens there's not much going on i i did manage to buy my daughter the uh speeches of sojourner truth mm. and uh also um, got my son reading uh, because because specifically because um, she uh, was studying that in fourth grade and okay. I did not like the the very whitewash curriculum they're using even though it actually mentioned Sojourner Truth and stuff okay. like that it used okay. terms that I didn't like so okay yeah so here's a question because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you're familiar with this 
did did her school's curriculum mm-hmm. use the uh, transcript of her speech that no. was actually the transcript of her speech that she gave? No. Or was it the one that was published by Neither. the... Oh, Neither. really? No, it was, it was more about just her life. I mean, okay. third okay. graders, so okay. her life. And, it, you know, it talked about um, she was a slave. This is true. I said, start using the word enslaved person. Uh, she it talked about her owners. I said, no, they were slaveholders. Uh, they were people who kept other people in slavery. Use those words. And she had a problem with that because that's not what the book said. Um, now, she wasn't challenging me on that at all. Yeah, she was like, no, yeah. these words work a lot more. But I could see her brain working like I want to do right by my teacher here. And so I, I emailed her teacher and said, here's what I'm using. Here's the list of words that I've told her to use. I, re- I appreciate that your curriculum includes Sojourner Truth, but could you please give room for Julia and support her on this? And she absolutely did, and that was great. So this awesome. summer, they're reading, because I assign my kids reading yeah, yeah. in the summer. Yeah. They read one, and then they get to read what they like. And then they read, read one, one, and then they get yeah. to read, okay. So uh, she read March by John Lewis, and then she read um, Barefoot Gen. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then... Wow. Yeah. Well, Wow. Yeah. I mean, he was her age when it happened. So it's it's, from his perspective, seems fair. Wow. Um, And then uh, she got to read what she wanted for a bit. And now she's back to it. And she read They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. Wow. uh, Which I loved that she chose that. Just out of curiosity. I'm just, do you know what her lexile level is no, like what no is clue. her okay uh, yeah i don't know her iq i don't know her lexile level, okay and i kind of don't want to well no i, I totally yeah. i get that but yeah. i'm just thinking like george takei's book is not written for fourth graders no but it's a comic book so okay okay, okay oh you know? okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay no, it's, okay it's, okay yeah it's a graf- yeah, yeah, graphic, graphic novel, novel. okay so right, everything right. i've assigned has been graphic novels okay so now i got her uh sojourner truth speech as well as a few other speeches um, just in a little like those penguin classics. For yeah. Okay. Books. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I also got her, um, the, the autobiography of Emmeline Pankhurst. Oh, okay. So she's starting to read that as well. Uh, so yeah. And, uh, my son, he's now reading March cause they, you know, I made sure yeah, they yeah, it off yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that, but he's also very deeply into reading how to clicker train your cat. So that well, there is taking go. all of his time right now. <laughs> so, which, which I have zero problem with. <laughs> So that's that's what's I, going on around here. I, I love how metaphorically mm-hmm. your kids are Luke and Leia. Yes. Like <laughs> Or Jason and Jaina, quite honestly. Like yeah, well yeah. 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 Um, but but, yes. but in, in my own head, I'm yeah. I'm totally like Luke and Leia. Yeah. Like oh yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. But yeah. Very cool. So when last we spoke uh, yes. about Dune, yes. um I, I prior was, prior to friend of the show uh, Teo Morgan's Teo Morgan, visit. Yeah. Uh my head was spinning. Uh, okay. With so much sand. Um and so much <laughs> I hate sand, it gets everywhere. <laughs> this is why Anakin never went to Dune. Um Or did he? A good yeah, point. Yeah, well did, anyway, good later. Good later. Yeah. Question for another time. So, for later so, on. Catch me up to where we were. I remembered the plot. Okay, by and we large. we had gone we had gone into mm-hmm. uh, we'd gone through the plot. We'd gone right. through the world building. Yes, and um, we had gotten into talking about the themes right. that Herbert was talking about, or, yes. or that or that are central. Mm-hmm. How much he was intentionally talking about them. Right. And how much they're just kind of there because of the way he chose to frame the book. Like, uh-huh. like it's really clear there are some of these things that, that we're talking about that we're like, no, no, no. 
I, Frank Herbert, have big ideas about this. God damn it. You're going to listen to me. And then there are other things where you're just like, no, no, you you chose to set this on a planet that was very clearly Mm -hmm. built around having seen Lawrence of Arabia one too many times, you know, as as at some kind of formative age. And and so there's all kinds of shit to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, and so if I remember correctly. Um, we talked about the theme of colonialism. Yep. We talked about empire and the politics of power, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. discussed the, the, the idea that, it, that it's built around this idea of, uh, the, the, uh, Padishah emperor being the ruler of a hydraulic empire. Everybody is dependent on spice. Right. Arrakis is the only place where you can get it. And the, and, and the last thing I have in my notes, mm-hmm. uh, was, the idea that even supreme power, like the Shaddam the Fourth at the beginning of the book, Shaddam the Fourth is in this position where he is literally the most powerful single individual in all of human space. Right. Okay. He he can order a planet burned to a blister. Right. Like right. he has he has the power to do that. But once he does. But once he does, yes, and and so his power is is like he's got to keep all these plates spinning. Everything mm-hmm. is balanced on the point of a spear. Yes, and and if and he has to keep working to keep everything moving. Right, because the the, the equilibrium is dynamic, and if and if one of those things falls apart, right, he's es- bone. Essentially, if if he is he's he's got all this power. But the second he uses it, I mean, like I like I'd said before, it's yeah. like a nuclear weapon, right? Yeah. Um, I there was a wonderful play called Other People's Money, which then got turned into a movie. Um, and uh, the guy, the the guy that Danny DeVito played in the movie, yeah, he said, uh, you know, I've got all these lawyers. He says lawyers are like, um, what do you say? Lawyers are like nuclear bombs. Uh, if you've got a lot of them, it's good to threaten people with. But as soon as you let one out, it fucks everything up. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but so he basically, if you're one of the nobles, you kind of want to outmaneuver someone into being the first one to get smacked. Yeah. And then you want to hang back while the others go after yes. him, and then you insert yeah. yourself. Oh yeah, and it's and it's all everybody playing after you, sir. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. after you. Right. You know, and oh, are you a coward? How dare you? How dare and, you? Yes. Yeah. And and like the whole situation at the beginning of the book is like Leto's Mm -hmm. whole position at the beginning of the book is I have been pushed into a trap. Right. And And I know that it is one. I'm going to go in, but I'm, you know, my my only chance is I've got to turn the trap into a weapon to turn on the people who are trying to kill me. Right. And and so that that theme of Machiavellian kind of plotting and, and Byzantine power mm-hmm. structures, the, the statements that, that uh, Herbert is making about politics and about power mm-hmm. are very neatly crystallized right. in that at the beginning of the book. And right. then, and then, and then everything else that happens after that is variations ad nauseum on, you know, that point. It feels like there was a lever that got pulled and then we're just watching everything unfold. Yes. Like like it's it's uh it's like a watch and you yeah. unwind the spring and suddenly you just watch you the just coil go where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's remarkable that you that you use that analogy mm. because one of the other things that is that is a theme that keeps coming up over and over again in in not only the first book but then in the later ones is the mega violence and so it's a clockwork but it's on dune so it's orange. 
Nice. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. Not even mad no? about that one. Okay. Nicely done. Okay. Uh, and it's ultraviolet. Ah, oh, God damn it. Yeah. I couldn't get a past little, the, the... A little f- of yeah. the old ultraviolence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and the less said about that beyond the pun, uh, really the better. Yeah. But um, the, no. the so... theme of fate and destiny. Oh, okay. And like Paul... Mm-hmm is aware of his terrible purpose, capital T, capital P, like throughout, throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to, he's trying to find a way to thread the needle as I talked about. Right. And, and his consciousness being so vastly expanded because they've been planning for five generations. Yeah. Because, because yeah, everything has been built up and he's the culmination of this whole breeding program Mm -hmm. and his, his parents, training him from a young age to be a mentat and him saying, okay, right. yes, I'm going to go forward with it. And I mean, like all of that, there is this, like he, he is living through the experience of being able to predict mm-hmm. where the spring is going to go and having to try to thread his way through, kind of backward, through, engineer, backward, backward then, engineer. Yeah. But then there, there's always the limitations on, how much can he actually act on the timeline? How much can he actually right. affect? And so there's there's these overarching ideas about fate and destiny and and the gestalt psychic destiny of the human species. Okay. Because un, that is just, yeah, those are big ideas. Huge big <laughs> ideas. And and a little self-indulgent to be perfectly honest. Oh, oh, hugely yeah. self-indulgent. Like like everything else in in the Dune series, nothing is done with half measures. Right. The self-indulgence right. is like, no, I'm just gonna whack off. <laughs> like like no no no. It is it. Yeah no. I it, have a silly question, especially yeah. now that you said I'm just gonna whack off. Okay. At any point, does Paul end up blind? Not in the first book. Oh, interesting. No. Okay. Does he fall off his sandworm? Uh no okay no I'm just cause no just because very, cause, very yeah, easy yeah, biblical yeah, yeah yeah kind of yeah no he does wind up blind in the second book uh, oh, okay. he he a gets a a low yes a a low yield a very specific kind of nuclear weapon that that uh, Herbert kind of created for his sure. universe called a stone burner okay is set off and the flare of that burns out his eyes but by that time his prescience is so powerful that it doesn't matter that it doesn't that that huh. like he's he's able to have whole conversations with people that he knows right like the whole thing from from beginning through to the end well, sounds a lot like uh, matrix 3 a little bit yeah yeah, yeah a little and yeah. and we can get into influences absolutely okay in a minute so so, so that's we, we've now bounced around a bunch, but Nash, but yeah. talking about uh, empire, politics, and power, mm-hmm. talking about Paul and fate, then brings us into the theme of expansion of consciousness. Right. This was something that was clearly really close to Herbert's heart. Like, and you this, talked this about was a, that yeah, too, he, about how he, he went in. You know, you, yeah. you have the desert, you have the 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 mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. He he was he was a user of mind expanding substances. Right. Um, he was very clearly reading Leary and, and, uh, Oh, uh, Huxley. Huxley. Yeah. Clearly. I thought you you meant Leary with an A for a minute. Oh yeah. L E E R Y. Yeah. Yeah. Reading Leary. Like what's he Leary of? What's, what's he Leary about? Yeah. No, no. It was very clearly influenced by, you know, everybody, the, the, the wing of popular culture of the, the intellectual 
cadre of society who sure. were who were calling for no no seriously this is a tool for everybody to expand their consciousness we right. need we need like i mean leary was saying no everybody needs to drop acid right and huxley was saying no it should just be for yeah the in- intellectuals the intelligentsia yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the Beatles, everybody smoke pot, everybody smoke pot. Like, right. Seriously. That was, that was a part, a thing Mm -hmm. going on in the zitgeist. And so we see his main character, Mm -hmm. um, expanding his consciousness in not only into becoming a mentat, who's a superhuman computer, Uh like to replace computers. Right. But then going one step beyond that, because as it turns out, he mm-hmm. is this prophesied Kwisatz Haderach, who then is that Ne plus Ultra. Right, right. And and he spends a huge amount of time in the book, mm-hmm. pages and pages in the book, describing the the experience of Paul having these moments where he mm-hmm. is he is uh dissociated from himself uh-huh because his consciousness is now he's now looking across the valley of the immediate present to the mountains of the future okay, okay. you know yeah and and that like there there are times where in his consciousness there's this vast gulf that he can't see Right. And he knows that those are all the timelines in which something goes wrong and he dies. And then on the other side, you, he starts seeing other stuff. Now you keep bringing this up, you and know. I'm wondering if it's because you, you know, watched Loki at all. But like you're you're talking about different timelines, a multiverse. Yes, and that's something that Herbert had had Herbert, dabbled in. Herbert doesn't in in this in in the Dune universe. He doesn't talk about the idea of multiple timelines existing simultaneously so it's more a function of the clairvoyance yeah it's it's a function it's a function of the clairvoyance uh and it's it's a function uh it's like it's quantum right in its nature it's right now Mm -hmm. the cat is both dead and alive okay right right um and you can see both and uh, and 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 you can see both of those futures gotcha now if you're the cat you only see the future in which you're alive and you know there's a dead space over here where hey no you didn't make it which is Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so Paul has this vastly expanded consciousness mm-hmm. that eventually is so expanded that he's actually able to go into genetic memory. Like, like right, you said, held, you go, held memory. And that's something that was possible for the women. Mm-hmm. They could only see the one line. The, 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 and he the female see, half right. of experience. He can go in and see, see the both. male half of experience. Okay. Um, and so he's not the only one who has this expanded consciousness. And that's something I kind of want to go into is because mm-hmm. this is not just about expanded consciousness. It's kind of post humanism. Okay. Because he's not just human. He, he is something past, you know, normal human potential. He is, he, he is, is the next evolution. He is, he is well, or? the next or, or I think what what Herbert was kind of trying to to have us think about mm-hmm. was we utilize computers to do all of this math, mm-hmm. but if we unlocked our potential, we wouldn't need them anymore. Right. If we expanded our consciousness, if we trained people the right way, eventually 
on some psychic kind of level, the potential would be unlocked for humans to do these things for humans to preternaturally control their vocal tone and right. be so, so tuned in and, and paying such close attention that they could read somebody within a matter of five or six, you know, transactions and be able yeah. to know this is how I need to say this in order to get this reaction. And, and if everybody's doing that, then you're taking, uh, what do you call it? Uh, communication. Yeah. To just a very much next level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so there's this there's this huge emphasis within the books on uh kind of kind of transhumanism. Uh uh guild navigators mm -hmm. explicitly he says after a certain point, they're not fully human anymore. Right, yeah. They they physically change into forms that are mm -hmm. fish like and and are not their 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 consciousness is so vastly expanded that they can't reliably relate to normal people right on 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 a on a regular basis you know well, yeah and uh, again you're going to talk about influences later but i'm just thinking minority report you have the precogs um i do get a kick out of philip the fact k dick really yeah clearly yeah like yeah i'm sure he'd read it and went you know <laughs> let me I, drop a couple of tabs but and also, think about this harder also the fact that they're in water yeah. Also, the fact that you just said he, they go back to fish-like. Yeah. Um, which I also, I said back to on purpose because it, it occurs to me that we're talking about um, humans yeah. that are so, I'm going to say evolved, okay. that they have, like, gone from mammalian back to ichthyan uh, again. Okay. You know? And, and there's there's something, you know, the ocean is vast, the desert is vast. But there's something really interesting to me about the universality of you because you specifically mentioned fish like yeah um the simplicity of a fish for instance but also just like we are all kind of you go back far enough we got that common ancestor well yeah so i'm just you know i'm, I'm thinking you know what what might have popped into his head as he was going well and there's also there's also the idea of evolutionary regression mm -hmm. like you you evolve to a certain point and then there's nowhere to go but back yeah, being yeah. being a theme, well, and, you know, and and since and, he's looking at empires, you, know, you already have the going up in your work boots, coming down in your slippers. Yeah, so kind of, you know, yeah. humanity could be doing the same. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, so he 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 spends this huge amount of time talking about this. He talks about, uh, he spends pages mm -hmm. discussing Jessica, Lady Jessica's uh, awakening into becoming a Reverend Mother. Okay. Which is which is what Paul does mm -hmm. on a slightly smaller scale, right? Well, actually, right. On a, less on a, on a it's massively a, smaller scale. Because it's less codified too. Yes, he's the he's, he's, he's the ur or the proto. Well, he's the he's yeah he he is what they've all been preparing for. Right. She she's doing something that's been done many 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 times before by many many other women. Much more refined. Much more yeah. yeah. Uh, with with the difference being that she is pregnant when she does it, and so Alia sure. goes through the experience, like and and winds up actually becoming aware, okay, as part of it while she is still a fetus, oh, okay, which okay. gets explored in exhaustive detail later in the series of books. Alia winds up becoming a fascinating character later on in in fully in her own right, but. So the the theme of expansion of consciousness winds mm -hmm. up being one he keeps going into, mm -hmm. like 
we're we're focusing right now just on Dune, but in sure. the, in the in the series of books afterward, that's part of the evidence for like no no this this is something he really had shit he wanted to say about it because right. like he he builds out Alia uh, and and uh, uh, Paul's children wind up being. Okay powerfully psychic and and it's yeah without spoiling anything for anybody who hasn't read the rest of the books like i, I mean it's been a very long time but i i still if like if you, sure. if you haven't read the series do it okay but anyway so um at the same time that he's doing all this talking about expansion of consciousness he says some very very pointed things mm-hmm. about religion okay because um, there is a quasi-religious framing of Paul's experiences, right? In 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 the way that what what he goes through is transcendence. Yes, and there's also, I mean, you've got the time in the desert. I mean, there's a lot of parallels. Oh, oh yeah, no, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 parallels to any number of messianic stories mm-hmm. are are all there. Right, right. Um and but but beyond that, Paul's experiences are ecstatic. Mm-hmm. They are transcendent. They mm-hmm. are mystical. Okay. But at the same time, Herbert works very hard to thoroughly demystify them. Okay. There is, there is a tension within what he writes Mm -hmm. as to is Paul literally just no kidding. He sees the future like it's a movie in his head. Right. Or is it that his cognitive abilities are so incredibly advanced Mm that that he's able to do the interstitial thinking from point A to point B to point C to point Z, mm-hmm. Niner, Alpha, whatever, you know, going going many, many, many leaps forward. Sure. That he's just able to see it that clearly because he's doing the calculations that fast. Like, like a graphics right. card oh, in your okay. computer doing all of the minute calculations to make the picture flow seamlessly. Right, right. In, in, a, in a game or a video. Right. We never really know for sure whether it's math done really, really fast or no, no, no. He is, in fact, a prophet with a capital P. Gotcha. That's what people ask me about my puns all the time. Yeah. Is is my brain just overclocked or am I a prophet? Uh, And, you know, uh, it depends on the house and the take at the door. Yeah. So, but yeah, nice. a lot of people yeah. think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's my ability to, to see the future as to what someone's going to say, or yeah. is it that I've, you know, explored all the various Delta realities? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I understand completely what you're saying just okay. because of my puns. Just because, yeah. Just because of yeah. my puns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I will, I will say, uh, your, your ability with them is <laughs> nigh unto preternatural. So I'm not gonna, yeah. like you can, you can pull them out of everywhere. Yeah. Mostly yeah. your ass, but everywhere yeah. else too. Yeah, um, they just come so, pouring out. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Nice. Well done. Thank you. Well, not no sweat. again. Again, not no even. Sweat. Now I'm starting to get mad. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, um. yeah. So, but but there's there's this. You you have to kind of you, as the reader, you kind of have to make your own decision. Sure. About is this again just overclocked brain math? Uh huh. Or. or is this a connection to some some bigger thing? Okay. 
Like is, is his sense of terrible purpose actually somehow a mystical connection to uh-huh. the zitgeist? Right. Right. You know? Um, and then he, he says much more pointed things about institutional religion in the form of the Bene Gesserit being effectively their nuns, mm-hmm. but they're nuns who get sent off to be the concubines of powerful men in order to continue bloodlines. Okay. Like, I mean, and they're, so and they're, they're not political, celibate, but no, and, yeah. yeah. And they're, and they're, and they are their own political faction mm-hmm. that works very hard to look like they're not political because, right. because they want to keep their agenda on the down low. Right. Which, which as he stands in front of the emperor's court at the end of, at the end of the book, Paul completely nukes that he's like, no, no, I am what you've been, you know, trying to form for the last, oh. you know, 5,000 years. I am it. And everybody watch her, watch the way she she shivers because I am what they've been planning for and they have no control over me. Oh, wow. Okay. And and it's it's this big, I mean, it's it's a very Lynchian moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, it's it's sadly Lynch didn't i didn't feel like lynch gave it the full lynch treatment okay in in the film sure um i i I feel like that particular exchange should have gotten a little bit more operatic kind Mm -hmm. of treatment it it wound up being kind of kind of the kind of background noise amidst you know sting shouting i will kill him and you know leading up to the duel and the final climax sure sure um, which was awesome too. Like I'm there, there are lots of people who are fans of the book who really have very strong, ambivalent and negative feelings about mm-hmm. Lynch's version of the book. I love both of them. Like unabashedly. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, there's so many things in that movie that are okay. I'm going to take what Herbert did and mm-hmm. I'm going to go fucking bonkers with it. And, and I love it. It's okay. amazing. So, but anyway, I'm talking about the book. Sorry, I got I got off the, off the subject there. But so the, so the Bene Gesserit are a a multi pronged statement about organized religion and mm-hmm. a pretty cynical one. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now it also feels like a, 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 a heaping helping of misogyny as well. Yes, there yeah. is that. There is certainly now, the fact that this was written in the '60s I was by say, is a that- cis hat male okay. science fiction writer. Say, is that standard 60s sci-fi or is that he had yeah. an axe to grind against women? Yeah, no, I don't think he had an axe to grind against okay. women. I think that's just, that's what the state of the tropes was. Okay, sure. In the 60s. I mean, yeah, if you I mean, look at what popular literature was I was going to say, just look, decade, at, just look at Star Trek. Women are mini-skirted up. Like, yeah. It, you know. Yeah, and so. and Uhura is the communications officer, which is a great, which is a position of, you know, great, Fourth in authority, charge, authority, knowledge, yeah. and everything else, and that's great. But then also every she's a secretary. other, also she's a secretary, and also every other woman that you see on the ship is a nurse, yep, or a glorified coffee fetcher, right? You know, literally, lit- and, yeah. and they're called yeomen, which I never, yeah. I thought for the longest time that was a rank on a ship. It kind of is, okay. but not yeah. like yeoman is a rating. If I'm remembering correctly, or it was until the Navy changed a bunch of stuff about. Gotcha. Okay. Um, And interestingly, a Mm -hmm. yeoman in, in actual history going back farther than that Mm -hmm. was uh, a non noble man of arms 
the king of England, Henry VIII in particular, had uh, his own unit of of his his guys mm-hmm. who were yeomen, who were essentially uh, non noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, professional soldiers, right? Who own land too? Who they, were yeah. who were who were small landowners, right? right. And uh, they were primarily archers, right? The the order of yeoman warders of the Tower of London are the descendants of that group. Okay, today, so they they wound up becoming his body, the king's bodyguards. And if I recall, they were given the shittiest land, which was down by like the marshes. So they were yeoman lowmen. Um, yeah. And good, because good, they good day. used archery, they were sir. yeoman bowmen. Yeoman bowmen. Lowman. Yeah. Yeah. I say good day, sir. And a lot of them um, took in uh, weaving God. as well. So they're yeoman bowmen, lowman sowmen. Lowman Okay. Fair so. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Um, so see, and, and again, overclocked brain yeah. or, or <laughs> did I set this did up? Did you set this Eight up? Podcast ago. Eight, no, I don't think no <laughs> overclocked brain yeah. in, in this case, yeah. but so, okay, so, so anyway, that, tropey women, you know, this, are, the state of the yeah. tropes in the sixties yeah, yeah. was, was that if you're going to have a woman in a position of power, mm-hmm. her power is going to need to be intrinsically tied to her sex, right? Because that's the most powerful tool a woman has natch if you're a science fiction writer well done. in the 1960s well done yeah i don't think you meant to do that i but didn't well done. but i'll you know yeah yeah oh man uh, everybody um. rewind by about 15 <laughs> seconds and you'll hear ed be crass as hell uh about uh, a woman's vulva yeah. i'm so, so sorry <laughs> i'm retroactively embarrassed <laughs> so all right so um so go ahead Oh, no, I was just going to say, so uh, so women, this is his cynical look at both women and religion. Yeah. Okay. And and continuing with, with his, his analysis of religion, there's mm-hmm. also this really interesting thing that happens in his world building. Okay. Where you'll remember from before mm-hmm. that uh, he talks about the Fremen being descended from Zen Sunni mystics. Yes, yes. There's a blending that's happening. There is there is syn- syncretism going on, a synthesis of mm-hmm. of syncretic beliefs. You know, one one group of beliefs kind of okay. melding melding into melding with another set of beliefs and becoming something new. Right. And and like the, was there an occidental equivalent? Because otherwise, I'm going to call out a little bit of Orientalism here. Well, he also Edward in in the book he also talks about the Orange Catholic Bible. Okay, so yes, there was. So yes, there okay. was. Okay, so he's syncretic on both sides. Yeah, he's syncretic on. Now, the, interestingly, he doesn't talk about the, uh, you know, uh, Sunni Baptist or or you know, uh, I, I said actually more more likely it would be Shia Baptist, but uh-huh. that's my prejudices showing themselves. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't. You know, there there is no union of a of a Western. Okay. religion with with an eastern philosophy so there is a bit of a divide clearly there is a bit of there is yes there is a bit of, <laughs> the levant is yeah. like where okay. you know nobody crosses okay. that that weird philosophical line mm-hmm. but but there there is very clearly this idea and i think i think he kind of stumbled onto it but mm-hmm. i i think it it winds up being more potent than he thought i think he was trying to find a way mm-hmm to show us just how far in the future this is that like this is so far uh, right. in the future that nobody because because we already talked yeah. about nobody ever mentions earth like right earth never gets mentioned 
in the wider universe of Dune, it it comes up that nobody sure. remembers where we came from. Like we've forgotten right, right. where humanity actually we don't know which planet yeah. it was we started on anymore because it's that far in the future. And this is, I think, in his head when he came up with these ideas, number one, um, the the synthesis of Zen Buddhism and Islam was useful for him in trying to come up with a, a mindset or a, a religious kind of outlook that would be useful for his protagonist. Mm-hmm. And also, he was just doing it in order to show us, no, this is just that far in the future. Right, right. Yeah, it can serve both masters. Um, it, yeah, it, it yes. does. It's it's a neat little trick that does both at the same time. The thing is, though, mm-hmm. I think because authorial intent don't mean dick. Right. I think there was also something else that he said that's less cynical about religion. Okay. In in coming up with the idea of the the synthesis of these mm-hmm. different religious traditions. There is a statement about what religion does for us okay. as a as a species, okay. or, or what okay. it is that draws us to maybe to maybe to change the framing a little bit. Mm-hmm. What what it is, why it is that we are religious as a species, right. why right. why we do this, and and it ties in, I think, with his whole idea of there is this this mass consciousness. You know, I would I would also you know. say philosophically, it's tying in with Claude Levi Strauss with his Tris Tropiques. Uh, okay. Tropiques. I don't. It's it's three sad three. topics. No, okay. sad topics. Okay. Um, or sad tropics. I don't remember. It's his memoir, but in it he describes is like 1955. Okay. He describes essentially uh, structuralism. Okay. That uh, take chicken. Okay. okay. For example, chicken exists on multiple continents now. Right. Yes. Um, and everybody has in their family a recipe which differs from the dominant regional cultures just enough, mm-hmm. but also we all know the regional cultures. Now, this is the Damien Harmony version of what he's yeah, discussing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, and then the regional culture is going to differ from this other region over here and also language changes. And language is somewhat based on how we cook our chicken. That's again Damien Harmonyism. Okay, yeah, but uh, basically, context but, is everything. Linguistically yes. speaking, context is everything, and yeah. and you cannot ever a hundred percent separate language from the cultural context in which right. it exists. But even more importantly, there are inherent structures in humanity that we take something natural, eating, and turn it into something cultural, cooking. Oh, uh, okay. And therein lies the, the you know, I, yeah. I would have taken fish, but there's so many inland people. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but so so his idea of structuralism is such that, like, we have these basic human needs that we answer in different ways based on our environments. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and then, of course, it's nothing grown in a vacuum. So then this grows out of that, grows out of that. And therein lie the differences in the wonderful mosaic that you can have. Yeah. Um, and I say mosaic specifically because I think he thought of them as, as separate things. Okay. Feel free, uh, geek timers, to correct me. Uh, and then uh, you also have um, Noam Chomsky right around the 1960s talking about universal grammar where he's talking about how pretty much every hum, human, and, and he may have come away from this uh, in his later studies, but in the 60s, he brought up universal grammar, essentially, which was another structuralism. And it was essentially that, um, yes, we're all different, but we all start with the same grammar. 
identifying yourself, identifying your chief verb, which is I hunger, uh, and then identifying the person that will feed you. So you are the subject, you are verbing a direct object, you're objectifying people. And I would point out that, uh, you know, Freud had died long since then, but well, other people yeah. took the baton and ran with that. And Jung talked about archetypes and oh, stuff yeah. like that. And so, but you had like Noam Chomsky specifically talking linguistically about that. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't matter what the language was. Applied Jungianism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it also didn't matter what the language was because we're all starting as infants. And structurally, linguistically, we all come from that same need. That's I also a, remember yeah. talking to you about young Robert when he was a baby, 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 mm -hmm. and you were very frustrated. Um, and do you mind if I share this, or do you? You may I'm, not remember. Yeah, I go ahead. Okay, I don't. He was super, super baby, like a few days old, and I yeah. checked in on you, and you're just like, it's it's so hard to hear him cry. And I explained, I was like, the only time he has ever felt hunger is yesterday and today. Each pain is worse is the worst pain he's ever felt. Yeah. And he never felt hunger because he had an umbilical cord. So yeah. now that's been severed and he hurts. So the only way he knows how to communicate is to cry. That's literally the only tool he has. So he's yeah. going to use that until he finds others. And it's going to take years. <laughs> but I remember, and I said also, any gut pain that he's got, it's the first time he's moving stuff through his intestines, really. Yeah. And so that's also the worst pain ever. And he's yeah. going to communicate that because he doesn't know what else to do. And I was drawing very much on uh, Chomsky. Chomsky, yeah. When I was explaining. And you, I remember I probably could scroll back in our messages and you're like, wow, that really yeah, helps. Go, yeah, if you go back far um, enough, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, it seems like in that same time, and if you look at the utopianist that was uh, fuckboy uh, Roddenberry. <laughs> uh, so, oh yeah, boy, you you, yeah. Want, you want to talk about a case where the where the monkey meant the angel? Uh, <laughs> anyway, I like that idea. Yeah, um, but uh, I I wish I could I wish I could take credit. I don't uh, remember who who that's it great. was. There's there's a some. Okay, yeah, Geek Timers, if you know what what the monkey meant bon the Mott I'm I'm yeah. referring to. And that's not even actually the 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 quote, but it's yeah. you know, talking about humanity being, you know, people being being a union of ape and angel. Right. And I, I love wish it. I could remember who it was who said it, but like Roddenberry is a great example yeah. of like all these aspirations, and then you look at how he led his personal life and you're like, wow. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because you yeah. talk about the monkey because uh we came down from the trees to become human. Yeah. So we separated more from the angels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we were got, closer yeah. when we were, when we were yeah, apes. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so well, we still are, but you get the idea. Yeah. But uh, you look at Fuckboy Roddenberry and his utopianism was we're all the same. The yeah. only differences, therefore, are the words that we use, yep. which are environmental ultimately, Yeah. Uh, and the way that we cook chicken, Yeah. Uh, and the colors of our skin, which all three of those are environmental. Yeah. You know, and so uh, it's very interesting that he's, Herbert is using giant ass sweeping stuff to get back to the same spot that everybody in the 60s was kind of coming around to. Right. And yeah. He, and what's interesting is that intelligentsia, I mean, that is guiding the first half of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Or maybe it's not guiding. They're pinging off of each other. Yeah. In the I, same I think, I think that'd be a better, better yeah. way of putting it. They're pinging um, off of them. Because them. it's, hey, we're all the same, therefore we deserve the same rights. And, yeah. And then white America just kept killing 
all yeah you people know. and then they're like fine fuck you yeah <laughs> like rightly so yeah but but and i bet you if he had written this book 10 years later it would have been very different there oh, I'm sure. Irreconcilable differences between. Oh, there would have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his 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 vision of what the very far future would look like, those details would have been very different. Far I'm more sure. schismatic. Okay. So far anyway, I, I you know, stole but, the rope, but, but but I I think I you know I I want to I want to stick for a second with that because mm-hmm. you know you talked about Jung, mm-hmm. and all of those being built off of Jung, building off of Freud. Uh huh. And I'm certain. Like I am more sure about this than, than, and lots of other things Mm -hmm. that I've talked about in, in this series. I am sure that Jung's ideas of archetypes and, uh, Jung's ideas of universal subconscious Mm -hmm. are, were, were fundamental to, to Herbert's, Herbert's whole outlook when when writing this book, especially the idea of universal subconscious. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think he uses that phrase directly, but he refers to he refers to the concept right by a different name over and over and over again. And so I, I yeah, I mean it's really clear that those those ideas were part of the the undercurrent of of philosophical and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. moral thought kind of at the time. And again, I want to go back to while we're talking about that. I want to reiterate, maybe mm-hmm. I'll go back to, but I want to, I want to bring back up that Dune really is one of the first major soft science fiction mm-hmm. works in this new era of science fiction. It, it right. was part of its, and, and I'm going to talk about its influence kind of in our next, mostly in our next episode, but you know, it's, it's, this is a good place for him to put a pin in that. Right. Because those Jungian ideas, the, you know, universal, not universal grammar. Uh, yeah. uh, Universal grammar. Universal grammar. Uh, and those ideas circulating Uh were, were the ideas that were, that were in sociology, that were the ideas that were in political science were the, I mean, they were the guiding school of thought at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, he set out to write the science fiction story that wasn't about, uh, wasn't, wasn't just about, uh, I've, I've come up with, you know, I'm going to play with what would it look like if we had faster than light travel. Right. Like, no, no, I'm going to use a science fiction story to tell a story about empire and about politics and about right. these other social ideas. And so I think that's, really important to to remember mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we're talking about his his statements on religion and all sure. these other things that this was this this was a big deal within science fiction mm-hmm. um and yeah and i can expand on sure. that later sure. on but um the the last thing i want to i want to bring up in this episode sure is uh herbert says a lot about human relationship to technology Mm -hmm. and at the same time, a relationship to ecology and the environment. And, and they're obviously intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the technology of the far future that he envisions Mm -hmm. is one in which las guns are a thing. Sure. Personal force fields are a thing. Right. But, 
radio still is recognizable as radio. Oh. Like like in one of the big battle scenes, there is a, a Fidekin Death Commando who is the radioman who's hunched over so a big have... panel, you know, uh-huh. cathode ray tube radio set, you know. <laughs> it's so funny. that uh, it, it makes perfect sense back then. Like, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I remember when Iron Man started using transistors in the comics. It was a huge big deal. Big deal. And they made yeah. a big deal out of it. And prior to that, he was plugging into the wall. Yeah, because you know Stan Lee's understanding and Jack Kirby's understanding of electricity was was that you know yeah. and how uh, Star Trek uh, the original series I keep coming back to it because it was kind of the yeah. ore yeah. of it all um, is is that um, look how far we can go on vacuum tube te- technology. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know you're like oh yeah yeah and and looking back on it as children of the seventies eighties right we're looking at it like no man yeah like. Within within our lifetime, we have watched devices shrink. Yeah. So well, I mean, you, you remember in in uh, the 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 uh, the next generation. Yeah. Um, they turned into isolinear chips. Yes. And I mean that's flash drive technology. That's yeah. That's you know uh, which made sense because we had hard disks. Well, we had yeah. you know floppy disks that were the three point fives. Yeah. And we were working our way to zip technology eventually and, and on yeah. and on. Oh, yeah. But like you know isolinear chips. But I also do remember that they when they first brought up the um, the hollow deck. If you watch the episodes from first season mm-hmm. to third season, it's very different when it comes to hollow deck because they wrote themselves into a couple corners. One was apparently there were no safeties on the holodeck because Picard did his like pulp 1930s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, dicks. Yeah. Uh, kind of stuff. He brought an expert, just, you know, some lieutenant, low grade junior lieutenant who was an expert on 20th century who gets shot with a bullet and dies. Right. And it's like, oh, what? What? Like you have yeah. this dangerous ass technology on here. And then, uh, like, uh, he's walking by the holodeck and Wesley and his friend come out and a snowball hits Picard in the hallway. Yeah. And later on, you start to see, like, no, that doesn't happen. And, like, you know, Wesley falls in a, in a lake and gets really wet and he leaves leaking, you know, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And then eventually it doesn't do that. And we can undo that, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. And so it's, yes, the, the shrinking of technology. So, yeah, you've got a radio man still. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they were still printing things on paper, do you remember? Uh, and they had data tapes. Oh, on, yeah. On the original Enterprise. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. No, they, they the, the, the assumptions, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the limitations of the genre sure. that there's a limit to how far you can, you can imagine anything before you go, Okay, no, now I'm now I'm just pulling that out of my ass. I can't I can't right. write that. I gotta, yeah. you know. It can't be like, wireless. Yeah, it can't be like know? like the the amount of computing power for those of you not not here, you know, the, for listeners, I'm I'm holding up my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And the amount of computing power in this phone is I, I don't even know what multiplier more powerful than the first iPhone. Right. And the first iPhone had some some tenth power, you know. I, I don't remember what what number of powers of of uh, uh, multiplication that the first iPhone had in terms of computing power over the computers that got us literally to the moon. Well, I can I can tell you right okay. now, the iPhone six's clock 
is 32,600 times faster than the best Apollo era computers, and it could perform instructions 120 million times faster. 120 that was, million. Yeah, that was the iPhone 6 compared to the Apollo. That's crazy. Isn't it? And so, like, the 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 limits on their imagination back in the 60s, like, yeah. of course you're still going to be printing stuff on paper. What's... What else are you going to do? Right. Like, it's a document. What, are you, what else are you going to do with a document? Well, and I loved how they would show on, like, the computer screens, and they would scroll them like I'm playing Arachnid or something. Oh, They'd yeah. They'd scroll them, and it would just be a card yeah. with stuff printed on it. It would be, it would be a uh, library uh, catalog card. Yeah. Of, you know, of, of Harvey Mudd. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, that, that says something about the... Uh, paradigm, the, the the dominant technological paradigm of the time. Remember that in the 1960s, you were still programming a computer with punch cards. cards. Yeah, exactly. And so uh-huh. that's how we program a computer. Yeah. That's that's how you like, do it. Like you the very it, idea. They, they'd say you feed it into the computer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the very idea that you would be able to graphically interact. Mm-hmm with with a computer in a way that was like as as we were talking you're scrolling through stuff yep on your phone right now with a touch screen and visual icons yes like the very idea of that mm-hmm. would have been you only would see that in something being written by somebody who everybody was like oh yeah well this this is philip k dick and like he's obviously on drugs like yeah you know the to give you a comparison, yeah, uh, the Apollo guidance computer, yeah, was roughly equivalent to an NES. <laughs> the thing that got a guy on on the moon is is, is the equivalent is a, to uh, Mario, a, a couple of generations old, yeah, handheld, yes, wow, yeah, yeah, okay, so anyway. <laughs> You know the 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 technology the technological paradigm that he was dealing with mm-hmm. um, was was what it was, mm-hmm. but his his outlook on technology was um, was was kind of weird because he was trying to say he was trying to make these statements about humanity. Mm-hmm. And about the potential of humanity to transcend our current limitations. And actually, he's kind of down on technology. Okay. Because he's ultimately trying to say that we are more powerful than any of the tools we can create. Yeah, the that's The tools kinda, we rely on. Yeah, it feels very false of doom. Very. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Riddle of Steel. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he totally totally look at that and go i like it yeah now i just got to figure out how to make it sound like something out of a verse from the quran and i'm i'm right. there i'm gonna right. put that in my main character's mouth sure you know um and so he he has this kind of ambivalence mm-hmm. toward technology and at the same time the power of humanity with our technology to literally reshape a world Mm-hmm. is remember that, that the start of the book came from his notes on a, a, uh, a project to, to trap sand. 
mm-hmm. to to you know build build up use poverty grasses to fix dunes right. in place. Right. For so so this ecological kind of kind of application of technology is something that he was really clearly fascinated with and the visual of doing that to a desert mm-hmm. was clearly something really really powerful to him but he's ambivalent about the technology that would be involved in making it happen okay or or he's ambivalent about our relationship to the technology right that would that would make that happen. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's a little bit more to that. It, yeah. It's about the hand that guides the machine. Yeah, more for him. It sounds like. Yeah, and and the funny thing is, it's not ever framed as a moral ambivalence. It's not. Is mm-hmm. it right for us to do this? Because he's coming from the paradigm of the '60s, which was right. technology is going to make everything better. Full stop. Technology. Yeah. You know. And well, also, you, I am become death. Yes. Yeah. But he's come. What I'm saying is he's coming out of the yeah, yeah. science fiction tradition that came before him. I should be more precise. Oh, okay, okay. He's coming from the somewhat utopian outlook right, of right. you know science fiction as a genre before him, which was we have these tools. We're going to make the world a better place. Right. And and so he looks at house nuclear weapons. You know mm-hmm. the house atomics as being a plot point and a thing that Paul uses to blow up a mountain range so he can get his army of crazed killers right you know to the people he needs them to fight and and he doesn't he doesn't spend any time looking at the morals or the ethics of the technology involved he doesn't right. he doesn't get into like a next generation writer mm-hmm. could take the whole idea of training somebody to be a mentat uh-huh. and go, let's really look at the ethics of yeah, training somebody from childhood. Right. The earliest, it's explicitly stated, the earliest parts of the training have to be done without the trainee being aware of them. And then they have to be made aware of it. And then they have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at the ethics of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, yeah, I let's. Could- you know, let's let's look at the power dynamic involved in, well, mm-hmm. you know, our kid, we, we hear that our kid has the potential to be a mentat, and so he can have a better life and get off this planet where we're just commoners and we're being ruled by this, you know, feudal aristocracy. You know, he can become useful to those people and move up in the in the world. And it would so be we're good gonna, for we're our gonna child. be good for him. It'll and also be good for us. Could be good for us as well. Right. You know, and let's look at the class ethics and dynamics let's look at the sure. power dynamics you know but he herbert, didn't do that d- herbert doesn't do yeah. any of that herbert well, herbert is coming from a place where all of this stuff is ethically value neutral does he do the same regarding religion because it seems like he doesn't it he seems has, like there is like you said there's a cynicism to the 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 women i forget what I, called. the benny jesuit the benny jesuit uh, I, there's there's a cynicism there, uh-huh. but he and he and he points out mm-hmm. the hypocrisy involved, but he doesn't ever he doesn't make moral judgments. Herbert is not a moralist on any level. Like he doesn't okay. say what you are doing is wrong. He says you all wanted to create this thing. Now you have it. You don't have any control over it. How foolish! 
So it's more about power. Than it's, it it's, yeah. it's everything. Okay, it's, it's pragmatism. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's all very pragmatic okay. in the, in okay. the most, it, not, not the beneficial pragmatism, the, you know, okay. best, best for the most, but the, is this going to work? Is this not going to work kind of pragmatism? Do you think he's responding you know? to the technocracy of the time? Which be. which was kind of fading out by sixties, yeah. Because there there it had clearly failed to answer some very moral questions, yeah. But do you think he's he's responding in some to the technocracy of the time? Because technocracy is what, I mean, tactical nukes were suggested on the regular by American oh, generals, yeah. Um, and it was it was I mean yes it was it's not that there wasn't a deeply moral issue there there absolutely was there had been people who'd been protesting the bomb since the bomb yeah but um at the same time it just kept rolling on they kept big making bigger and bigger ones and then finding different platforms from which to launch um and the race was on no matter what um and it ceased to be a moral argument at the top and much more of a practical argument at the top hence you have yeah um the the argument that like well no actually if we have more uh, then that will yeah. keep the peace, and you get yeah. into that mutually weird that leads to yeah. mutually assured destruction. Um, and you know, absurdism had tried to adjust uh, address it in the fifties, but moralism had too, and and the technocracy just kept on plowing through, and then it became a there. There seemed to be another layer happening. Was he still stuck in that? Do you think because he hit his prime earlier, or do you think I... he was just? I genuinely think he just wasn't interested in making moral judgments. Okay, fair. I, I genuinely think he was coming from a a position of beyond good and evil, to to paraphrase Nietzsche, Nietzsche, yeah. who who he probably would have loved quoting and wouldn't really have gotten. Right. You know, uh, because Nietzsche is on some levels very profoundly moral, but people like yeah. to talk about beyond good and evil. They they like throw out the the title of the work without right. like understanding no no there's there's a lot going on there yeah you know yeah um well the I same, mean, those are same these... same that gets done with machiavelli like i was gonna it say it was a satire yeah i mean those, you know? those are the same people that have like a really big poster of pulp fiction into their 30s you know yeah just, like, or yeah. they they you know they think that endless jest was was you know a, a book that you can impress people having known yeah um okay so, so i find it interesting that uh such a moralist as yourself really went for herbert i really dig the universe i was gonna say you're also a big prose guy i'm, so. I'm a big i'm a huge big yeah I'm, yeah prose prose is part of it and his prose is clunky in a lot of places but he is working with <laughs> you like soaring prose though. yeah well i, I, do. <laughs> I do you do there is there is that yeah. yes I'm, I'm guilty of that but he he creates mm-hmm. these these characters mm-hmm. and and the charisma of the characters he puts on the page mm-hmm. is enough to pick you up and carry you along. Okay. And for me, listening to the audio version of the book on my commute the last few couple of weeks that I was that I was driving to and mm-hmm. from my old job, um, it was remarkable to me how the difference in experience of listening to it versus reading it was in terms of what you're saying about you, the moralist, I'm like, Whoa, back up. Hold on. I got to rewind that. Like when I was listening to it, uh-huh. I think because it was more passive, I was not bought into yeah, it's, actively there's... reading off of the page. I was listening to other people talking 
there was an element of my brain that that was not bypassed. Right. Where I, I stopped. I was like, wait, that's literally a war crime. Right. Like not just in the ultra distant future. That's like now. Right. That's like, also oh, my thing. God. Yeah. You know, um, and and there were there were aspects of the story that I, I paused. I was like, OK, wow, that's so immensely misogynistic. Holy crap. You know, <laughs> and and had to like take a beat and then, you know, start it back up and, sure. and have those reactions because of the the force of what he's putting on the page mm-hmm. when when for me i can't speak for anybody else but when sure. i was reading the book um there was a i don't want to say propulsive because it was slower than propulsive okay um um william gibson is propulsive from the moment, first moment you start reading gibson you're, you know, snap. And oh, you're, I see. And you're sucks moving. You in and yeah, you sucks you in. Yeah. And you are, and you are moving uh-huh. at the speed of heat. You know, it mm-hmm, was, he mm-hmm. was passing through the terminal in Mexico city when the slam hounds caught up to him and a crystallized flake of TNT blew him into, you know, a bunch of pieces. That's the opening for one of his novels. Gotcha. And like from, from the first sentence you're moving and everything is kinetic and it sucks you in. Okay. Herbert is, um, I'm going to start having a conversation and you're going to be so caught up in, okay, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be so caught up in what this character is thinking and the way I'm describing this character's reaction to this thing mm-hmm. that it's going to pick you up and carry you. Okay. It's not going to be moving at the speed of heat. Everything, right. it, everything moves very deliberately because I have very big ideas I've got to get across Mm -hmm. and everybody has a literal mountain of exposition to explain because look at all the detail of my universe. Right. Right. But, but in the process of reading it, those details catch you and you're like, okay, okay, I got to know, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not propulsive, but it is magnetic. Oh, I like that. Okay. I would I would say would yeah. be a good analogy for it. And so, you know, he he says all of these really big things. Mm-hmm. He has all of these huge ideas, these huge themes that he's working with. And so I think this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in it for now by saying that it's it's these huge ideas that make Dune important. Okay. Within the genre. Okay. And I think it's these ideas and 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 his operatic delivery of them that turned it into the meme factory that it remains for us. It is even if you haven't sure. ever read the book, Dune is a Dune is a cultural touchstone. Yeah. And and I think the big ideas he talks about are ones that we are wrestling with constantly that we, that we were wrestling with in the sixties mm-hmm. that we continue to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's part of why, well, and, and we'll, we'll get into what exactly its role is right in the next episode. Sure. But okay. so based on that, what are, what are you taking away? Uh, so, I mean, I thought this in a previous episode, but didn't didn't get to uh, the point where I'd said it out loud. But um, there are direct parallels for me between this and Star Wars in that they're both dealing with operatic themes 
And that is like what you just said. That is why they continue to live as mimic founts, essentially. Yes. Fonts. Fonts. Um, and fonts yeah. Potato, potato. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I do think... Arrakis. <laughs> Desert planet. Uh, yeah. Um, sting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sting. It's, it's either the guy coming from the rafters with a baseball bat or yeah. it's the, the musician holding yeah. on to a sword that slays orcs. It's yeah. whatever. Yeah. Nice. Um, thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think the, the fact that he's dealing with such big things, I, I was thrown by the fact that it's, uh, I'm not gonna say amoral, but it's, um, didn't care about making a moral yeah. thing i i have a hard time because there there's deep morality in star wars oh yeah deep i mean the the ultimate <laughs> lesson that you can pull from star wars was boiled down by sam witwer actually in a podcast that i listened to years and years ago and he said the basic theme of all the star wars movies has forever been don't be a dick yeah, like that's that's really that's it. it. Just yeah, DBAD. Yeah, um, and Will Wheaton's mantra. Yeah, like that's it. So, Just, but yeah. that there isn't one. Yeah, for Dune, I wonder. I I just uh, stuff like that fascinates me because yeah. like how can you have a deeply sprawling, multi generational, so many? I mean, and like you said, just overall language and all this without having a moral compass to it because it's a meditation because it's a meditation on power. Oh, that's so weird to me. Because yeah. because because Star Wars mm-hmm. is a myth. Right. Star Wars is a myth and right. every myth has a moral lesson yes. at the end of it. Yes. The 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 story I don't remember his name but Apollo's son in the chariot. Uh oh, Helios? you know he, I don't remember no. but but, but yeah. his his mortal demigod son who mm-hmm, wants mm-hmm. to wants to ride the chariot across the heavens but he gets distracted and he winds right. up you know burning the planet and Apollo has to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Icarus, um, you know the yeah. story of Icarus. Yeah, the uh, story, Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, um, what's her name with the box? Uh, Pandora. Oh, Pandora. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like all of those stories mm-hmm. are number one. They explain something about the world. Mm-hmm. Why is there evil? Well, because Pandora couldn't contain her curiosity. Right. And and you know and and you know don't don't fly don't get over ambitious don't don't go beyond you know don't don't over don't overreach. overreach right you know and and all of these stories that also explain something and and Star Wars is very much in that mythic mode. Mm-hmm. Dune is not a myth. Dune is a meditation. Oh yeah, that that must be the difference. It's it is it is it is and it is an entirely internal mm-hmm. framing for the story. And if you look at a lot of the trappings, the 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 scenery chewing, the the archness of the language, all of that kind of stuff, right, is like like hard to escape. The similarities are are inescapable. Yeah. They're, but, u- they're using the same vehicle. They're just going to two different Springfields. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. It, yeah it, it it it. No wonder I haven't ever gotten into it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that makes sense. Yeah. I think if it was a role playing game, I would love it. Oh yeah. Because oh. I love a world. Yeah. But if there's no moral center to it, then I struggle with consuming it as. You know, a movie or a book. As, as yeah. passive media. 
Yeah, well, yeah. or active shit. I mean, I think yeah. reading is very active media. But either way, well, I, yeah, but yeah. but you are you are consum- maybe consumptive media as opposed to participatory. media. Yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, all right. Well, that's that's what I've gleaned. Uh, okay. Got any books you want to recommend? Um, not immediately off okay. the top of my head. I do not. But I see you have one here. Yeah, I I went down recently to my childhood bookstore. Um, and I picked up The New Mutants, Superheroes and the Radical Imagination of American Comics by Ramsey Fawaz. Um, I have not read it. I am intensely interested in it. Okay. Um, and I am just sharing people what I'm reading. Uh, okay. So I'm looking forward to reading this uh, as soon as I can. And it's, I mean, just to, it, it is thick and it is dense. Um, and, oh, it looks like it was signed over to someone else, so it was used. Okay. Um, but uh, the family of Superman, the superhero team, and the promise of universal citizenship, flame on, nuclear families, unstable molecules, and the queer history of the Fantastic Four. I will I will confess to having flipped through that oh, okay. before we started recording. I saw that yeah. downstairs, and, yeah. and I was flipping through it. And um, I immediately, he's got plates in it yeah. for you know it shows comic book frames yeah, from, yeah. from different periods for each one of the essays that he's got in there and uh the ones about the fantastic four very clearly he twigged to what you said uh-huh. in an early episode of this very podcast about yep. the subversive nature oh neat. of of the fan four of course he got paid uh, to do this yeah he for- yeah we're throwing it out there <laughs> but still giving away I, the milk i look forward to uh confirming yeah. my biases there you go uh, but also you know deepening my understanding of these things and, and looking at things that i haven't seen Indeed. so that's what i'll be reading uh where can people find you on social medias people can find me on social media at eh blaylock on the twitter machine mm-hmm. you can find me uh also at eh blaylock on instagram uh and at mr blaylock on uh tiktok mm. Where can they find you? Uh, take a look at Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find me at Duh Harmony. Two H's in the middle. Um, that's Duh Harmony. Uh, and other than that, that should be good enough. Uh, every Tuesday night at eight thirty p.m., uh, I will be Pacific Daylight Time. Yes, uh, I will be doing um, uh, Capital Punishment on Twitch.tv forward slash Capital Puns with my partner Daniel hum- Humbarger, uh, and we have a pun tournament. It's been going for more than five years now. Uh, when my kids get vaccinated, I'll go back to doing it live. Uh, and so in the meantime, y'all can enjoy the fact that I am at home doing it. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, that that should do. Uh, okay. I will be at the end of August, and I'll give more updates as it comes. I will be on the UK Pun Off, um, which is a lot of fun during uh, Fringe Festival. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, that'll that'll do. So, right. and where can they can find us? Um, if they want to we, correct your we collectively, collectively, <laughs> we collectively can be found at Geek History of Time mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter. Okay, and our website, of course, is www.geekhistorytime.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Please, please, uh, wherever you are viewing us or listening to us from, please uh, give us a five-star rating because you know we deserve it. Hell yeah. Uh, And hit that subscribe button so that you don't have to go hunting for us again next time. Exactly. Uh, So you know where we are and you'll be able to continue to hear us on the regular. Yeah. And you could go back and find the Fantastic Four episode amongst uh, many others uh, where we do all kinds of fantastic stuff. So. 
a lot. Of, it's it's a wonderful buffet. Like come Indeed. for the asparagus, stay for the stay stay for the soft serve. There you go. So yeah. All right. Well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, remember, fear is the mind killer.